today, which comes from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And then they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let us pray and ask God for a blessing upon this word. Help us hear, O God. Help us respond. As your word is read and proclaimed, open it to us and open us to the word's transformation in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, friends. In the second week of our series about being splashed in God's love, I am excited to be talking to you about serving with love. And in a church where we say we are inviting people to Christ-centered service, this seems like an easy uh, task to do. I want to tell you a story about my friend Hank. When I decided to uh, preach on this text, I didn't know that we would be offering a new class this week on Wednesday night that Hank would be teaching, so the timing, like so many things, is God's good timing. And so in the photo of Hank, you will be able to see that Hank, Reverend Hank Jenkins, uses a wheelchair for his mobility. I met Hank probably 10 years ago here at Faith United Methodist Church. He was one of the volunteers in the youth program when I became the youth minister here a long time ago. And Hank was wonderful, and he would go to church camp with me and uh, go on mission trips with me. And his mobility of being in a wheelchair uh, never limited his ability to serve. And so I wanted to share a funny story about after Hurricane Katrina, uh, Hank uh, was one of the adult volunteers on that trip, and it was the first time I had traveled with him in that uh, kind of situation. And Hank would get into the wheelchair, or he would get into the van, and then his wheelchair would be next to the van, and he taught us how to pop the wheels off and fold it up, and so it would get real small, and we could stick it in the back of the van. And so it went everywhere with us, and so as the kids got more proficient, and actually they, they even argued over who got to put Hank's wheelchair together, that we started teasing that they were a pit crew, Hank's pit crew. And if you've ever 
ever watched any kind of car racing on TV, a pit crew are those people at the side of the raceway who when the cars pull over and stop, they go as quickly as they can to exchange the wheels and I'm sure do lots of other things. I have no idea what those are. But to make the car go as quickly uh, as it can and they do that as fast as they can. So the kids started timing each other and see which combination of kids had the fastest pit crew and it just became this beautiful thing um, because the reality is if Hank hadn't gone on that trip if he hadn't decided to serve none of that would have happened but the kids not only did they serve people who'd lost their homes and churches at, after a hurricane they also served with love Hank who was one of the adults who volunteered to be with them for the entire week so when I was reading the scripture for today, we have this story about a man with mobility issues who is carried to the temple gates. But this is chapter three of Acts, and I wanted to just back up for a minute and share with you what happens in the first two chapters of Acts, and that is that we celebrate the beginning of the church Pentecost is what happens in those first couple chapters in the book of Acts. And the, if you don't remember what happens on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends and the people who are from all over the world and speaking different languages are able to understand and communicate with each other. Now, I actually preached on that text here recently, and I talked about how in the Old Testament, the story of the Tower of Babel was the exact opposite. That when they built the tower, trying to reach God in the heavens, they could all communicate with each other. And then as the punishment for that, they were made where they could not understand each other anymore. And so we have this tie to the Old Testament where this, uh, the people were unable to understand. And then all the way to the story of the beginning of the church, the birth of Christ the Christian movement as we understand it that happens on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends and the people can all understand each other no matter what country they are from. It's this beautiful beginning. And so we get Peter who becomes the rock of the church and the story that we uh, read today has this real emphasis on the power of Peter as the new leader of the movement. He does this incredible uh, miracle. And that's a great story. But I don't want to talk about Peter today. So now you're thinking, oh, she's going to talk about the beggar, right? Of course. He is exuberant when he is healed. His ankles and his feet are working again. He jumps for joy. I wonder if you notice that he is outside the temple at the gate. Why? Because culturally, his mobility issues would have made him considered to be cursed by God, unclean, if you will. And so he would never have been allowed into the temple gates, the courtyard, or the temple itself. So he's right on the edge. Um, and, and his healing moves him outside the community, and he in the text today, it tells us he moves inside the temple gates. His healing establishes him as one of the people of God. 
And that's a great story. But I don't want to talk about him today. Who do I want to talk about? Who is left? I want to talk about the people. If you look at the text, it said, and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate. People, just regular, no-named people. These are people like you and I. These are people that if they had not carried the man to the gate to basically do his job, he's called a beggar, but in his community, there would have been no other opportunity for employment for him. And so these people who we know that he has been unable to walk since birth, I would guess have been carrying him for all of his life because he's an adult man in the story. He's grown. And so somewhere along the way, his quote-unquote pit crew, the people that make him able to get from one place to the next, they carry him to the temple gates. And we discover that these people who go unnamed are the ones who make this miracle happen. If they did not carry him every day, there's no way that Peter would have ever encountered him. His healing, his miracle never would have happened if that hadn't have happened. And yet these people, unnamed, they serve him every single day. Not only does he get carried to the temple, somebody has to carry him home again. It's really kind of a miracle that he's lasted so long in that community that he's even been allowed to grow to adulthood. And that made me think about why. Why did those people do that? I would assume there was some kind of relationship, some kind of love, or maybe even pity. But they did it. And they did it without expectation that their pastor would get up and brag on them at church. They did it without taking a picture and putting it on social media. They did it without expectation of payment from the man who had so little. And so as people, as a church that constantly affirms that we are inviting people to Christ-centered service, I ask, why? Why do we serve? So the first answer is obvious. It feels good. It feels really good to do something for someone else. It, it creates endorphins and a feeling of purpose. And when we lay down at night, we can say that what we did, our life on that day mattered. It makes a difference. And, and yes, that seems a little selfish that we serve because it makes us feel good. Our motivation is that it makes us feel good and we do it in love and joy. At least some of us do. I have encountered people that are doing it for service hours or because their mother made them do it or because they're having to do it. And they're not very joyful. But we are, as people who choose to serve, we do it with joy and love, and we find a way to answer hopelessness in the midst of our lives. The second reason is because it's good for us. 
Now, I thought I just can't go out there and proclaim being a volunteer and serving is good for you without giving you some statistics. So, of course, I Googled it. Is it good for us or is this something I've been sold? And sure enough, Psychology Today had this beautiful article where they talked about how people who volunteer and serve live longer. Isn't that a great reason to serve? We literally live longer. We have healthier and happier lives. To quote the article, people who volunteer, especially older people, remain physically functional and sound longer. They have a more robust psychological well-being and they live longer. Again, another great reason to serve, but it's still a little selfish, really, if we're doing it just so we're healthier and happier. And so I came up with the third reason why we serve, and it's to meet new people. When I did youth ministry, people would tell me all the time, or college students that had been in my youth group, I can't find anybody nice to date. And I would say, where are you looking for those people? And so then I would encourage them to go to the Habitat House on the weekend, or uh, if they were passionate about animals, to serve someplace, and you'd meet other people who love animals. And so it's a great way to meet like-minded people who have the same values that you do. Now, I've known uh, insurance agents or real estate agents who might serve or business people. I'm from a small town. It's a great way to meet and uh, make contacts and meet other people and spread your business. And that's also a benefit of it. But again, it's still sort of a selfish reason to do it. And so then I got to thinking about, as Christians, when we say Christ-centered service, what does that mean? How do we answer the question, why do we serve? And so I think that we need to find those words. Now, I grew up Methodist, which means I can work all day and all night and never complain. But I am not very good like my friends who grew up in Southern Baptist churches where they were taught to give their testimony and share their witness. And if anybody offered them the opportunity, you know, tell the story of the love of Jesus and how it was part of their life. And so I'm not as good at that as I am of working and expecting other people to notice how much I love God and other people. Let my actions, like we like to brag, let our actions speak instead of our words. But sometimes we need our words. We need to use our words. And I have a great story for one of those. We were our youth group from Faith United Methodist Church, we were serving in Washington, D.C. We had been doing international trips, and we, it was un, we were unable to do that anymore because it wasn't safe. And so we decided to, um, I basically uh, looked at how many hours drive it was to where we used to go, and I drew a circle on the map, and I tried to find something the same distance, and Washington, D.C. was on that map. And they were um, hosting, there was a group hosting a youth mission thing, and we went and we served in the Marvin Gaye Park, which has nothing to do with serving in love. But none of the kids had ever heard of Marvin Gaye. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So I made it my job to educate them as we drove 16 hours to Washington, D.C. 
But we kept seeing these teenagers all over the city in matching t-shirts, and President Obama had created a summer job corps. So they had these job corps t-shirts on. And he, this program was to keep all the kids busy in the summer and keep them out of trouble and keep them working and doing park work and trash work and watering trees and those kind of things. And so they would talk to some of our kids, and they asked them, uh, you know, how much they were getting paid to work. And the kids were like, oh, no, we're not getting paid. We're volunteers. We're missionaries. And they're like, what? And then, then they heard us talk. They said, where are you from? Right? And so we said, we are from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they're like, we don't know where that is. But why would you drive all the way from Oklahoma to work for free in our park. And the kids were like, we told you, we're on a mission trip. We're missionaries, right? So we sat around that night and we talked about where do we find the words? When someone says to us, why are you doing this? What do we say? We have to say that we love others because Jesus first loved us. We need to find the words to say that we believe that the expression of serving is a way to give back to the one who made us, the one who offers us grace. And, and somehow we need to say that in language that people who've never been to church will understand. We can't use church inside language. And so we said that next day when we talked to the kids about why we were there, that we were followers of Jesus and that Jesus served and Jesus embraced and Jesus loved and Jesus died for us. And so then we were compelled to model our lives after him. And so we were there to serve them and to love them and it was so beautiful to watch the kids find those words and, and, and the other kids had nothing to say. They were shocked into quiet and you could hear them whispering to each other after we moved away about the witness that we had offered, not with our labor and our sweat and our tools, but the witness that we had given with our words. Why do we serve? What does it mean to be a Christ-centered servant? Today, I want us to be inspired, not by Peter, even though what he did, did was miraculous. But the reality is most of us are not capable of healing people. And I want us to be inspired, but not by the man who had not been able to walk from birth and when offered the miracle, cried out in praise to God, even though he is inspirational. But I want us to be inspired by these barely mentioned servants and people who have volunteered to carry the man to the temple every day. We are capable of this kind of love. We are capable of being these kinds of servants. We can serve without hope of recognition, knowing that our service is an expression of the love that we are given by God, the one who served us with his very life. This 
is the miracle that we can make happen over and over and over again. Amen.